0: TechSounds presents The Conscious Capitalists. Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Susodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 40 of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Shasodia.
2: Hi, Raj. Hey, Timothy, good to see you again. Good.
1: We've had a little bit of a break, and it's good to be back. And it's good to be back this week with a very special guest of ours. So we're lucky today to have Joe Kenner, who was named the president and CEO of Grayson Bakery in April of 2020. He's also a fellow board member of Conscious Capitalism. And prior to joining the executive team at Grayson, he had a really interesting set of experiences, both in the public and in the private side. Of business. He spent a number of years at the Westchester County Department of Social Services and spent 14 years in corporate America working in insurance, underwriting, risk management, capital markets, and sales strategy. One of the country's most well-known enterprises and entrepreneurs, Joe frequently shares his experience on purpose-driven businesses and particularly the interest today on building a more inclusive economy through employment, workforce development and social service. Joe, welcome.
0: Well, thank you, Timothy and Raj. Great to be with you guys. Good
1: to be with you. So, Joe, maybe begin with taking a little bit of history with us and tell us a little bit about Grayson Bakery and what it's all about and why we're here to talk about it.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. I love talking about Grayson and Take you back to our founder. I think you, in order to understand Grayston, you really have to understand our founder, Bernie Glassman. Uh, I love to describe him. He's the uh, Jewish guy from Brooklyn turned Zen Buddhist monk turned social entrepreneur who founded Grayston back in 1982 on a very simple yet profound belief that he wanted to create a thriving community, uh, particularly um, in where we are now in Southwest Yonkers, New York. Uh, he saw at that time uh, an economy that was spiraling downward. Uh, folks were homeless, folks were without work for various reasons, homelessness, uh, formerly incarcerated, um, substance abuse issues. There are many reasons why folks were not working, but many of them wanted to work. And Bernie saw as a great injustice that uh, folks that want to work and can't, something's wrong there. Something's wrong with our society. Something's wrong with our economy. And he sought to change that. And he sought to change it with one simple thing, and that was a job giving someone the opportunity to work, giving someone the opportunity to learn a skill, apply themselves, and hopefully move on to something bigger and better in life. And he did it through uh, this group of Zen Buddhists that were living in the Riverdale section of the Bronx uh, here in New York. Uh, At the time, they were supporting themselves baking cakes. uh, And Bernie would literally pull people that were looking for work off the streets and say, hey, you want a job? You want to earn some money? You want to learn a skill? Come Work with us and help us uh, make some cakes. You know, cakes that we're going to you know different restaurants and where in the area. But uh, that's how we birth what we now call open hiring um, here at uh, Grayston. Um, just so you know, Grayston is both a social enterprise. It's a bakery, uh, New York State's first B corporation, by the way. So triple bottom line. Uh, it is for profit. We support the the likes of Ben and Jerry's. We are the Brownie inclusions, and in, you know, then there five flavors: uh, chocolate fudge brownie, uh, Netflix and chilled, half baked, uh, Justice remix, uh, all the great flavors uh, that have our brownies in it. We make those brownies for Ben and Jerry's, and we also sell them in places like Kava and Whole Foods, and other conscious capitalism board member. Uh, so we're very proud of uh, Grayston Bakery, but uh, we also have a foundation. That's focused on providing workforce development training uh, to the folks here in Southwest Yonkers, uh, giving them skills in emerging industries, both on the entry level as well as the middle skills level. Uh, And it's all built around Bernie's initial idea and foundation of providing hope, uh, giving people an opportunity. Uh, Our new mission statement is very much focused on unleashing the power of human potential through inclusive employment, one person at a time. Um, And that's what we do both at the bakery and at the foundation. It's how do we get folks into the mainstream, get them working um, and leading to a thriving, more prosperous future. And it begins with one job, but it doesn't start there. It's the wraparound services. It's the support. Uh, And uh, we've been doing this now for nearly 40 years. And uh, our goal is not just to continue doing what we're doing and double down, and particularly this economy, and I know we'll talk about that later, but it's actually inspiring other companies to do what we do at the bakery. Uh, open hiring is the uh, very simple, again, yet profound uh, model for bringing folks into the workforce where you just put your name on a list, and when the next job becomes available, you get it. Uh, but it's really it's for people that are looking for hope. <laughs> people mm-hmm. that are looking to yeah. uh, say, you know, I've been turned down from every job. And you hear this from our bakers all the time. I wasn't, didn't have enough experience. I wasn't male enough. I've heard that before. Um, or I didn't know how to interview, whatever it might be. Uh, folks didn't, I always I say, we don't give people a second chance. We give people a chance. We give them an opportunity. And you hear that all the time from our bakers. But up and hiring opens that door and it's just a matter of saying, have I resolved I want to be successful, do I want to work? If the answer is yes, put your name on the list When that job becomes available, you get it. No questions asked, no background checks, we don't do interviews. It's, it's an amazing model for bringing all types of folks that are uh, on the sidelines in this economy. Uh, research shows you know, about 10 million folks across the country are without work because of one or more barriers again. Justice involvement, homelessness, substance abuse, mental health issues, and other things we don't think about, Timothy, like age, you know, mm. single moms dealing with childcare. Those are barriers in some contexts. Uh, But for whatever reason, 10 million of those folks, I think it's about 20 percent or so are opportunity youth are on the sidelines. They're not working. They've dropped out of the labor force. They're contributing to the lowest labor participation rate since President Carter, (laughs) the 70s. And they're not showing up in the unemployment numbers either. So they've gone. We want to bring those folks back in. So our 10-year vision is really to see our model replicated, to get people trained, to bring them into the workforce. And we believe if we can just get 40,000 jobs of that 10 million into the workforce, that's about $3 billion of economic impact for this country. And that's a conservative number because that doesn't include any kind of know, it money multiplier in there. Uh, so there's money on the table if we can just open the door to folks that want to work but for whatever the reason is, they've okay. been excluded from this economy. We wanna change that.
1: Well, I love that, uh, that mission you've got and I love the way you're trying to approach it. And I think one of the questions that I would have is, um, maybe take us through you know, how the process actually works for you folks, which is one piece. And then second, that this is about the whole person. It's not just about getting yes. a job. Tell us about the process and then how you try to address the
0: whole person. Yeah, it, it's it, again, it's a very simple process. And, and we believe, and, and this is what we say to companies, we want to invest in keeping people in as opposed to keeping them out. So the process is very simple. You have a one-page uh, form that you fill out. We don't call it an application, it's a form. It's your name, address, you know, contact information, phone, email. We ask you some questions in terms of your interest in other trainings that we do offer. And you submit that and you get added to our job list. And, and again, it's driven by production and, and the needs of the organization. But, you know, on average, about six months is usually the wait time. And we have about, I think it's a 100 or so, 115 folks waiting on the list now. Uh, but, you know, within six months, you get a call. And that call is, hey, Timothy, you put your name on the list Uh a job has become available for our AM or PM shift. We have 12-hour shifts, 7 to 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'd like for you to come in. And that day of orientation, that first day, is your first day on the job. That's your first day of earning a wage. It's your first day of you know, having access to a union that we have there, getting healthcare benefits, 401K. And you begin what is a six- to nine-month apprenticeship program. And so you're learning the operation uh, you're learning what it means to be a part of the Grayston family. Um, and, you know, six to nine months, you actually graduate. And we do, uh, back in the day, I should say pre-COVID, we would actually have a graduation ceremony. It was almost like a mini wedding reception where we celebrate you, and we celebrate some of the folks that have graduated from our workforce development programs. Uh, we now call that the Grayston Employment Opportunity Center. And we just celebrate your accomplishment, whether you graduated from the bakery apprenticeship or whether you learned, earned a you know, nationally recognized credential through our Employment Opportunity Center, your family's there, and, you know, people that you know, friends are there, the whole Grayston team is there and we're just simply celebrating uh, this accomplishment. Uh, but uh, it begins a journey and we want you to either grow within our organization about 25% of our folks at the bakery have come through either the apprenticeship program or our employment opportunity program. So we're excited about that. And, but we, if that's not mm. the path you want to take after two years or so, we would love to through our employment opportunity center, place you somewhere else uh, where you can continue to thrive or you continue to grow. Cause if we start with the premise that if not for Grayston, you wouldn't even be working, uh, mm. That says something about the, mm-hmm. the, the things that we're providing to these folks here that uh, you know, the bakery has given you that first step. Yeah. Now you can take the next step. And um, I always say, we have about 100 folks at the bakery, uh, 70 of whom are the open hires. Um, that's about as much as I can hire at any given point in time. Wouldn't it be awesome if I had five, 10, 50, 100 more employers like Grayston doing the same thing Providing the same opportunities, what could that do? What kind of economic adrenaline could that be to uh, an economy like a Yonkers, like a Rochester, which is where we are, or a Baltimore or a Chicago? Okay. We could we could really change this country for the better. Well, we share a common
1: client because I, I pushed one of my clients, the Body Shop, over yes. towards you guys, and we yes. had the CEO on uh, a couple of months ago, and he actually brought it up that you know they were into open hiring. So tell us a little bit about how a company like the you know like the Body Shop approaches you and and how do you end up working together and, and what does that look like when you do try to take it outside of the 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 normative model that you've got
0: Yeah and it was great working with you know the team at the Body Shop I mean one to just another like-minded purpose-driven organization I think that has to be the start for a conversation like uh, replicating open hiring. They call it inclusive hiring, by the way. Uh, They started in 2019. They did a pilot of open hiring in their distribution center in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, The results were incredible. They they provided just over 300 opportunities over the course of the seasonal work that they were hiring. And they found that, you know, their turnover rate was cut by nearly two-thirds. Productivity, if you think about it, units per hour went up about 13%. It was so successful in 2019 that they've decided to roll it out to their retail operations in the U.S. and Canada. You'll appreciate that. I think they rolled it out to the U.S. and Canada. And the feedback that we got these past uh, few months, we did some analysis, talking to the folks at the distribution center, talking to the folks in the retail operations, most of these folks, about half, were not working, probably for a year or more. Half had one or more types of barriers to employment. The qualitative uh, feedback we got from folks, again, you hear the folks saying, you know, you know, people didn't like me because I mean, because I was fat, I couldn't get a job. I didn't have enough experience. I didn't know how to interview, but I'm a a good worker. I have a strong work ethic. I just didn't know how to interview. Uh, So many different stories, but you hear all the, you see and hear all the different barriers that folks were going through and- because of the body shop and now that's yeah. about you know just over a thousand opportunities that they've provided through the distribution center and the retail yeah. operations yeah. you're seeing that type of success and yeah. we just want to see more of that and it, it really begins with intentionality and do yeah. you want yeah. do you want good help obviously most businesses do to be successful but then two do you want to have an impact beyond just your bottom line it, As conscious capitalists, we we believe that businesses can do well and do good at the same time. It's not to the exclusion. And
1: and I I think the thing we also shouldn't underestimate is the impact it has internally within the body shop. Absolutely. Because, you know, this is activism at its best. They want to be an activist beauty brand. Their ability to get involved in the inclusive hiring process and, and starting to make it a part not only in the U.S., but now also in Europe. Um, has been tremendous in terms of their own morale of saying, hey, listen, we're living a purpose. We're making a difference in the world. And there's huge benefit for the morale and engagement of the people that were already there.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I say this all the time. You're getting, it's win, win, win. You're getting good help. You're getting a good employee base. But you're also bringing people into the economy that were once excluded. And then three, to your point, Timothy, people in your organization are seeing that. And they're like wow this is the company that i work for this is what my company is doing yes we're making widgets we're making you know beauty products whatever it might be but we're also having an impact beyond you know our our core base of products or services that we're providing everybody benefits from that
2: well you know joe one of the things that some people find counterintuitive about this model is we live in what many people would call a meritocracy right and you uh, your rise based upon your abilities and you get selected based upon those and so forth. But there's also a trap in that and it's sort of a self-reinforcing cycle of who is able to meet those thresholds and so forth, right? And if you go too far in that, you end up excluding. And uh, a lot of companies are proud of the fact that they only pick one out of a hundred and, you know, the cream of the crop and the best and the brightest and then the fact is we have to organize business around the idea that ordinary people who are extraordinary in so many ways, you know, every human being has, has capabilities, but to be able to see that yeah. and not have these artificial uh, thresholds, uh, you know, which are, which are different kinds of barriers, even in yeah. addition to what you've talked about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what you're talking about, Raj, we call it social capital, right? I mean, probably all of us have had somebody pour into us, whether it's our, parents, whether it's a teacher or or somebody that's poured into you and has taught you how to interview, maybe even gave you an internship somewhere or told you how to write a resume, all of these little things that aren't so little because they could be impactful in terms of your career trajectory. A lot of folks don't have that. A lot of the folks that we work with, they don't have that social capital. We are the people that are giving them the the tools to succeed. Here's how you interview. Here's how you shake hands. Here's how you look at somebody in in the eye um, in a conversation, all these little things. How do you deal with conflict, right? Uh, That you learn in these, in in these different settings. And and again, it's all about, I think we, uh, we had talked at one point in time, you know, Raj Chetty and his research, you know, it shows like where you live, the people that you are around, that has a very strong determination about where you're going to be in life. So if you're around people that are working in a a very diverse environment, people that are educated, uh, that zip code could be your ticket either to a great future or a not so good future. It depends on your zip code.
1: I think that's such an important point, this whole idea of, um, you know, it it immediately gets into a whole question of social justice and equality because listen, you know, I know darn well that my children, um, you know, have four legs up (laughs) on somebody who's, you know, born and brought up and raised in Yonkers. You know, they've had an incredible set of opportunities that I've fortunately been able to help provide to them. And, um, and I think it's, you know, it's so easy for us to lose context around, you know, it isn't a level playing field. It isn't really a meritocracy even for some of those essential jobs. And, um, so I, I just think what you're doing is so important. And, and it raises you know, this question about the whole person. I mean, this isn't just, as yeah. you say, about whether I can give you a job, but it's, it's about self-esteem. It's about learning about how to manage their money. It's about, you know, it can be about parenting. It can be about <laughs> a lot of things. And, and I'm curious how you help the whole person and yeah. see the whole person when, when, when they come in contact with you folks.
0: And and what you're getting to, Timothy, that's the whole idea of what we call inclusive employment. That's why it's in our our mission statement. We just had a town hall yesterday and we had an hour long Q&A and we we were all struggling with this term inclusive employment. And what does it really mean? And it means what you just said. Yes, we lead with our open hiring model. We want folks to replicate open hiring in whatever form, you know. The purest form is open hiring because we don't ask any questions, we don't segment any groups. But if you want to hire single mothers, if you want to hire the formerly incarcerated, go for it. The idea is we want to bring people into the economy that were excluded, but it cannot stop there. I mean, if anything that COVID has taught us, and I say this all the time as well, is you know, we are seeing the at least in our organization. This is the evolution of human capital management. This is the evolution of human resources where folks are now talking about, am I safe in my organization? You know, you know, do I have the tools to be successful from a training standpoint? You know, what is the career path uh, for me here? Is there a glass ceiling? You know, all of these things are, are broader questions that we're now talking about. So, you know, one, recognizing the The populations that we bring into this organization, we realized that it was necessary for us to have—we've called it a care coordinator, we've called it a employment pathmaker—but essentially, you know, someone who with a social work background who works with our entire staff, not just the open hires. That makes all of those connections that you were talking about, whether it's childcare, whether it's finding a home, dealing with child support, whatever it might be. But those are some of the non-traditional human resources things uh, that you may not have had. I worked in corporate America, Pepsi, Lehman Brothers, Chub and Son. Um, those were things you didn't really talk about with human resources. But those are needs that your employees have that actually impacts their productivity. It actually impacts whether they come to work, first of all, if they come to work, do they bring their whole selves to work? And if they're at work, are they as productive? Um, If you have a family in crisis, or you're sleeping in your car, or you don't have a place to go at all, how successful do you think you're going to be on the job? So we want to make sure that you're both professionally as well as personally uh, successful, because the two go together. Um, I help my organization by helping you And by helping you, you're really impacting a whole family that's impacting a society (laughs) and a community at the same time. So there is this linkage here that is, to me, important to make. Um, And for us as an organization, that's what we've committed to, um, at least for our 10-year vision is inclusive employment, stakeholder capitalism, and bringing folks into this economy in a way that's going to be impactful and meaningful for folks who are just looking for the opportunity.
2: You know, Joe, one of the powerful aspects of uh, Grayston are the stories. And I've of course heard a number of them, including uh, DeAndre, Drew, who spoke at our conference yeah. in Philadelphia yeah. a number of years ago and- We're still with us. Still with you and doing well. I mean, his story was very, very inspiring and uplifting. And I know you have
0: others. Would you like to share a story or two that particularly moved you? Oh, there is just the beauty of it all is, you know, there's are 70 and more because there are people that have been through the organization uh, over the years. We just, uh, we worked with a group of students from Westchester Community College who put together a documentary on three Uh, with one person in focus, but it was three of our employees. The documentary is called Wide Open Dreams. We did a preview about a month or so ago. Um, It's about a 20-minute documentary, but it just takes you through the lives of three people, three different stories. One is a single mom with five children. Another is a formerly incarcerated individual. Another is a woman who had Spanish as her first language. So, see all the different barriers that are there, the different stories and challenges that people face. But I'll start with Shauna, who was kind of the focus of this documentary. Shauna, at one point in time, was this close to giving up her five children because she could not find a job. And again, she'll tell you, when everybody said no, Grace didn't say yes. She wasn't male enough. She didn't have enough experience. She didn't have the right education. There was always some reason why Uh, she couldn't get a job and it was literally probably a day before she was about to make this decision she gets the call from Mm grayston and i am so proud to say she has now been with us for a few years now Uh, and she has all of her kids and she's one of our lead operators you can't put a price tag on that you know Mm -hmm. five children that you have to give up uh, and for a mother or any parent, but for a mother particularly to have to even think about that is just incredible. And again, somebody who wanted to work, she just wanted to support her kids. Mm-hmm. Um, she just wanted to contribute to, you know, to our own family. And you know, no one would give her that opportunity, but Grayston did. And brilliant woman. I, I tell her she's, <laughs> there's more in her that we haven't even seen yet, but uh, it's those types of stories that uh, again, she didn't have the social capital. She didn't have somebody she could reach out to and say, hey, Timothy, hey, Raj, I need a job. Can you hook me up? You know, she nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. But but for Grayston, And again, all the other stories that, you know, I could tell, you know, Alvin, who was formerly incarcerated, Maria, who Spanish was her first language legal resident, but, you know, had, you know, challenges with English. But she's doing amazing now. Alvin doing amazing now. I mean, these people speak to you know as ambassadors for us and, and it's their stories and, and them telling their stories that's actually the most impactful i could talk about it but when you hear it from them it's a it just has a totally different feel to it so
1: just before we move on from that how can people access wide open dreams what would be the I- best way for them to, to be able to see that
0: yeah, it's it's on our webpage, but I'll I'll give you the link and you can include it in the uh, podcast notes. But it's, it's a two minute trailer because the the actual documentary is being uh, submitted to different film festivals, so folks can't see the whole segment. But you, the two minutes is enough. <laughs> you'll be oh, yeah. crying. You'll you'll be crying just in the two minutes because um, everybody was crying when we did the premiere. And it's just it's just very impactful. But it shows the power of the model, and when people see that, they should be able to see like how can my organization do something like this. If I only have one job, and sometimes I just say, just do one job. You don't have to do your whole organization or your whole department, but one job could truly make the difference, case in point, with Shauna and somebody's life and lives that are connected to them.
2: Well, you know, Joe, it's stories like this that really drew me onto this path, you know, with with my work many 15 years ago. I didn't know about Grayston then, but uh, stories of companies, for-profit businesses that are capable of such deep humanity and then altering the trajectory of people's lives in a dramatic way, just shows the power of business to uplift. And this idea then of business being a healing organization, right? That the people, obviously the the ones who work there, the uh, connection is very clear. Their lives are transformed. You know, their families' lives are transformed, all of it. But going beyond that, if to the extent that your customers become aware of how you operate and how you hire. It helps heal them as well. Their, yeah. their buying uh, now contributes to something meaningful. So to what extent do you do that? Are your customers aware of the Greyston story and do you find that it makes a difference for them?
0: Oh, I mean, if you think about Ben and Jerry's Unilever, I mean, we're a part of their values-led uh, sourcing because uh, we were, we're part of their global supply chain. So as you know, Ben and Jerry's, and I spoke to actual Ben and Jerry before, and I told them, you guys are the poster children for activism. Uh, you gave us a start, to be quite frank. I mean, they're our number one customer in terms of the inclusion uh, sales that we have. Um, to be a part of their story, uh, telling our story is just... Incredible. Uh, but, you know, the folks that are just buying the brownies online, and you, you can go to graceda.org, by the way, and just buy, you know, an eight pack or, or a dozen brownies uh, through the sales of their e-commerce, and you're contributing to someone's success. Uh, it's really, and we say this more than just a brownie. We don't hire people to bake brownies. We bake brownies to hire people. That's that's our tagline. Um, the focus is on the people. Um, it's an amazing product. I'm not going to lie to you. We have vegan and regular, and you will enjoy your product. But uh, more importantly, you're contributing to your, to your point, Raj, to a trajectory that has a multiplier effect because it's not just that person. It's the family, it's the community, and it's the society that that person is connected to that you're actually contributing to.
2: So given... That ripple effect, Uh, it seems to me there should be policy uh, initiatives that encourage companies in this way. Uh, Have you seen any or do you think there should be any at a local or a state or even federal level uh, that can leverage the power of business, not only to give people opportunities, but then also get them off of the assistance programs and so
0: forth so that can happen? And that's where you get this $3 billion of impact because you know, you're getting folks off of public assistance. You're, you're impacting the recidivism rates. So you're not spending money for keeping people incarcerated for whatever the, or whatever the justice involvement costs are. You, people are now working. So now they're now paying taxes. They're now contributing to an economy. But that's the whole vision for our Grayston Employment Opportunity Center. We want to see other companies doing this. Right here in our own backyard, we actually are forming what we call regional hubs where we're working with companies and nonprofits, and you know Rochester is one, New York City will be our next stop, and here in Westchester County, we want companies to do what we do in some way, shape, or form. Um, you don't have to be like the body shop that's just opening the doors, um, although they do ask one question, you know, why do you want to work in our retail shop? But we want folks to really consider this and be intentional about it. And extend those opportunities because to your point there is this multiplier effect behind it and companies can do it i mean this is the one area as business leaders we don't really have to ask policymakers for permission just mm-hmm. do it you just so what do it in, you do it all- so i'm
1: interested joe and what in your experience draws a ceo or a leadership team to this because i on the one hand you know I, it's tough to convert people who are heathens about these kind of issues. But <laughs> we what don't what call them really heathens. <laughs> Between us, <you> know, <laughs> conscious capitalists, the, the non-believers out there. Um, but, but what is it once you've got someone who's sort of like, hey, I'm interested in this. What do you find are the, are the critical success factors that helps them get over the line and get this into their
0: organizations? You know, it really has to be a part of your DNA. I, I, can, I can give you the workforce tax credits and I can talk about the turnover rate. I can mm. talk about productivity increases and all of those things are true, yeah. but it really has to be in your DNA. And I'll give you a case in point. You know, the CEO of a local hospital here, he came to us and said, I hear the great work that you guys are doing. I need good people. Can you give me some good people? He made that decision because he knows if he hires those folks, they're going to be his hardest workers because no one else is giving them a chance. And he needs folks. He needed folks in in his landscaping. He needed folks in his maintenance. He needed folks working inside the hospital. He knew the benefit that this would bring to his organization, but he also knew the benefit he would be providing to the people he hired. And it's that it's that person. It's that organization. And it does start at the top. You have to have a full buy in from from not just the CEO, but really your entire management, your entire uh, mm. staff, because that's what makes it work. We're talking employment here. It's not just one person. It's an organization of people. It's a community. Yeah. So you have to have that buy in. It has to be a part of your DNA. But it starts with and I go back to this word all the time because I, to me, this is the secret sauce is intentionality. Because we're making, I said this at our town hall yesterday, we're making an investment. This is an investment. You're making a decision to bring someone on and you're making a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to invest in your training. I'm going to invest in your future. I want you to be successful. It's, this is a reciprocal relationship. So I want you to talk to me. Like if there are things that, you know, challenges that you are facing, yeah. we want to know about it so that we can correct them. That's an investment. Mm. And if you're making an investment, you got to be intentional about it. Right? and that goes with any whether it's you know securities or, or, or human beings yeah, you got to be intentional about it or it's not going to work so it really starts there and it does start at the top but you do need to buy it from the rest of the organization and it, right. it really and it, and it goes to you know what do you want to be as an organization right yeah. and so yeah, yeah, people yeah. like the body shop it's easy people like you know, rhino foods it's easy you know you it's easy because they've already that's just part of who they are um, and that's really it. At the end of the day, it's intentionality.
1: Well, you mentioned there, the number earlier. Sorry, go ahead,
2: Rush. I was going to say, are there people who having uh, been through uh, your program and having had the doors open taking <coughs> that first step of the uh, ladder, then want to go into, for example, entrepreneurial direction, they want to start a little thing of their own. Um, are there any avenues that you help uh, them get onto in that direction in terms of entrepreneurship?
0: You know, I think entrepreneurship is going to be the next phase of where we go uh, within our organization. Uh, and you know this, Raj, you know our history. There was a time when Greyston had, you know, low income housing portfolio. We had, you know, a child care center and it was all taking this holistic approach we've recently divested from those uh, industries because we've evolved to being more of an inclusive employer. Uh, but I think that's going to be the next phase, you know, maybe the next 10, 15 years where folks are going to be looking at you know, what we're seeing now in our whole economy now. This is being created that we didn't even know about. Right, you know, when I grew up, uh, you know, you it was more functionally focused. You want to be a lawyer, you want to be a doctor. Now it's just you want to be a thinker and an analytical person who can collaborate and create some business <laughs> that no one ever thought about, you know, a year ago, five years ago. So I think that's where folks are going to be drifting. But right now, it's really about getting folks just into the economy, getting them working and. Again, you talk about stories. We, we've had people that have worked at our bakery for several years that are now working at one of the uh, fuel companies, the local fuel companies here uh, on the docks and in you know, a supervising position, doing very well. Uh, been there for six years, but, but was mm-hmm. locked up for 20. But Grayston gave him that opportunity and now he moved on to another job. And who knows what folks will do. Uh, what we don't want to do is steer people into what we think is right for them. We want them to go where they think it's right for them and give them the tools to succeed in that, in that environment. But I do think entrepreneurship, particularly with the youth, I think is probably going to be something that um, will be a focus. Not, I wouldn't say immediately, but I think in the next you know, 15 years, you know, 10 years plus, I think that's where folks will be drifting towards.
1: You know, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that there were 10 million people not in the workforce. And you look around at the headlines over the last couple of months and everybody's talking about the worker shortage. There's not enough workers. And then trying to point the finger and blaming (coughs) it at minimum wage things or other efforts to shore up people at the bottom of the pyramid in terms of their their financial situations that they've suffered through with the the COVID. without getting into the politics necessarily. We can. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, How would you describe, you know, like like how do you see the world when you're on the one hand going, listen, I've got a hundred people waiting for six months to get a job. And then I'm reading these headlines in the Wall Street Journal that says, we've got a worker shortage. Unlike anything we've ever seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if if, if folks are listening to me, I'm shaking my head right now because it it, it burns me up when you think about it. So do the simple math, you know, research shows about 10 million not in the workforce for whatever barrier of employment. Latest BLS statistics say there are 9.2, 9.3 unfilled jobs in this economy as of, you know, last month or whatever the most recent statistics are 9.2, 9.3 unfilled jobs. 10 million, not in the labor force. What's wrong with this picture? That want to work. So what is this labor shortage then? Uh, For me, and the question I always ask, is it a labor shortage or is it a company outage in terms of how they're recruiting Mm. and where they're looking for people to, to work? Like, where are you sourcing your talent, first of all? And are you looking at these populations where folks are saying, I want to work? I actually do want to work, but, you know, I'm not a good interviewer, you know, all all the different barriers to Yeah. And then secondly, how are you bringing them into the organization? Are you just screening them out because, oh, well, they didn't go to this college or they don't have this degree, even though the job that I'm, you know, seeking uh, that I'm posting doesn't really require a college degree. You know, have you even looked at your own hiring practices? Have you even looked at how you're bringing people into the organization? Maybe you are actually excluding people that could be working for you right now. I mean, I read the uh, Wall Street Journal the other day. Burger King has a $1,500 signing bonus for some of their jobs at one of their locations in Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> They're paying referral bonuses for some of these jobs that are just like you would think like referral bonus to work at McDonald's or to work at you know some other you know entry- level position because they can't find people even our own employer partners here in, in this area I, we had one of our former board members he's paying 20 to twenty seven dollars an hour hmm. for people to work on his docks, people to drive trucks 20 to twenty seven dollars an hour could not find anybody. We sent him about two or three the other week people that had the background. They could do the job. So my question is: Is there really a labor shortage, or is there an outage from the company standpoint in terms of where you're looking and how you're hiring? And obviously, my answer is going to be <laughs> open, Let me take you guess. <laughs> employment. <laughs> you, you've got to you've got to rethink this because I mean the math just doesn't make sense. Do I think that all 10 million are going to fill those nine million jobs? No, but folks, I mean. There's there's got to be some <laughs> there's got to yeah. be some leakage there that could you know fill some of those jobs. Uh, yeah. it, it really it, it boggles the mind to think that uh, we have the yeah. so-called labor shortage.
1: So so help us with that. I mean, here we're going to give you the magic wand, Joe. Wave the magic wand. What needs to happen in the next six to twelve months so that we start to get something happening in that space? Yeah. I mean, because right now. Everybody's talking about it. It's a moment in time that is probably unique in many ways. You know, we're about to be on fire on this issue. How do we blow the flame on the little on the little flame you've got and blow on it and make it into a bonfire?
0: They need to get to Grayston.org and reach out to us so that you know they can figure out how do they make inclusive hiring work in their organization. And again, it could be the bodega around the corner. It could be the distribution, Amazon's coming here in Hudson Valley. It it really could be anybody who has a job to offer someone, whether it's a front desk person, whether it's a distribution center, whether it's maintenance, whether it's landscaping, folks have to figure that out. How would this look in our organization? Can you help us with that? Uh, can, we have our regional hubs. This is part of our 10-year vision is to really Spread the open hiring, inclusive employment gospel. Uh, figure this out within your organization. And one company can do it, 10 companies, 100. I mean, it really, it's going to take a whole, you know, business-wide effort to get this going. Uh, it's going in the Netherlands. We, we worked with the Start, Start Foundation. Um, yeah. they have a, uh, they're have they working with their local employers there. in the Netherlands, they've got 21 different companies, 20 or so different companies doing open hiring. Um, and guess what their issue is? Ageism. Mm. Mm. Uh, so they're addressing it that way. And they're also looking at sustainable wages and things like that. But everybody is finding a creative way within their own context to figure it out and to bring people in. And again, it's people that want to work. I mean, these aren't, you know, quote unquote, lazy people just sitting and sitting around collecting. a They actually want to work. Mm. Uh, so figure it out and, and we'll work with you. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of our, our Grayston Employment Opportunity Center is to work with companies. I want the next body shop to come forward. I want the next, you know, small business. We have a company called Clean Craft in Rochester, a small custodial services company that's working with the reentry population. Yeah. It just starts somewhere. And, you know, and, and business folks, business minded folks who are traditionally focused on just the, you know, the bottom line um, are seeing the impact because, again, they get good talent, but they're also making an impact within their community by hiring the folks who live there uh, to do a job for them. Uh, so we, we just need more companies, one, working with us and then replicating this model in some way, shape or form. Um, and that'll take care of this, what I call the outage that we have with companies.
2: You know, Joe, I think the impact of companies like uh, Grayston is, is is way more along the lines of what you're talking about. It's a catalytic impact that you want to have in the world because you have 100 people, right? So that's a drop in the bucket of overall, but you have an idea and a way of doing something and a proven model, which is really where the la- large leverage can come from. And already you're seeing larger numbers in body shop and other places. I think that's to me that's the exciting part of many of these kinds of companies in the uh, healing organization space they view themselves not as just a business but really as a as a catalyst for change and they want others even within their own industry so-called competitors to become fellow travelers mm-hmm. when you align on on vision and purpose you know then it becomes really how can we spread this this way of being and this kind of healing uh, into the world and inspire larger and larger entities i, I think of patagonia you know they're a tiny company but they inspired walmart right yeah which is a hundred or a thousand times bigger mm. to make even small changes that that can shift the whole thing in that direction so i think it's really exciting uh, to think about the possibilities here uh, that could emerge out of this
0: and and to be creative about it too raj because i i know i came from you know Corporate America, Wall Street, I know when you say something like open hiring, no questions asked, still background checks, you know, the traditionalist HR person, and I would have been one of them if you had asked me this, if i was still at Pepsi, but I looked at you like you're crazy. You don't have to do it the same way that we do it. If you have an issue with sex offenders, then hire only single moms or something. You know, if you, let, if you want to hire opportunity youth, uh, find a way to deal with the folks. And this is what I said to the team yesterday. We just want to get people employed. And some folks are going to go in on the deep end, like the body shop, and other folks are going to find a cohort. And it's, it's really going to be driven by your context, too. Like just in some areas might be dealing with opioid issues, some areas might be dealing with reentry, some areas might be dealing with opportunity youth. But find a way to bring people into the organization. And I am not going to be a purist about this, uh, saying it has to be the same way that Grayston does it. That's, that's, that's not practical. And just some organizations aren't built that way. Mm. But what can you do? Like, let's not boil the ocean. What can you do within your organization to bring somebody in who's traditionally excluded? And think about what that impact would be.
1: What I love about this approach is, you know, another big topic that's going on is CEOs and their boards and their commentary on social issues. And mm. does the CEO need to go to the board to get permission to say something when, you know, there's riots in the street over racial injustice? And, you know, without getting political, this is a really no brainer way for a CEO or an executive team to say we want to focus on inclusive hiring. That's what, you know, we've got this worker shortage, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> let me connect the dots here, <laughs> you know, inclusive hiring might be a really good way, you know? And so it's, it's interesting, you know, when you use the Burger King example or you use the McDonald's example of, you know, how partnering with McDonald's or if McDonald's came along and said, we want to partner on inclusive hiring, help us roll that out at scale to our franchisees, to our stores. Um, it doesn't have to be a social commentary on, you know, yeah. critical race theory, teaching in schools. You know, we don't have to have that debate. We can just sort of go, Hey, here's inclusive hiring. you got a shortage. It makes sense. Do it because it makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's really that simple, but again, it's, it's profound at the same time because uh, the issue is there. Your companies are having these challenges. Communities are having these challenges because they're, you know, their residents are not employed. And if you are an organization located in that community that's struggling to bring people in, who do you need to be working with? You know, who are your partners that could help you get th- these uh, employees? You know, or if you're going through the traditional means, you're probably missing all the folks that I've been talking about. Because they're, they're, not, they're not on LinkedIn, you know, they're, you know they're not, they don't know so-and-so who knows so-and-so. They're, you know, they're just sitting around because everyone else has told them no. So you really have to get creative about this because you're struggling as an organization because you said it, $1,500 signing bonus to not to work at Burger King. So something is going on. <laughs> something is going on and something, some innovation needs to take place somewhere because the traditional way clearly is not working. I mean, we're seeing wages, wages going up. We're seeing these sign-on bonuses. We didn't talk about referral bonuses. That's a new one now. I mean, it's it's amazing all the different tax that these companies are taking uh, to get folks into their organization, but that just doesn't seem to be working. So there has to be another way.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to get them in, and then once they're in, if they have the same experience that people had before them, you know, then it's going to remain a revolving door, right? So I think we have to rethink the whole nature of work and what we are doing to provide Absolutely. meaning and purpose and growth and joy and respect and dignity and fulfillment because as a lot of research including Gallup has shown the number one driver of happiness and, and contentment is a so-called good job, mm-hmm. work reasonably paid in the company of people you care about and so forth and so the whole move towards a living wage, for example, which Unilever has done not only for itself, but for all of its suppliers. Where do you think that is going? Is that a uh, the, the conversation has shifted to some degree from minimum wage, which is
0: part of that, but
2: to a, a living wage?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I'm glad you brought that up. And I learned a new phrase. I was speaking at a the summit for Bridgespan and someone used the term family sustainable wage, family sustainable wage, which is an interesting concept. So not just, you know, supporting yourself, but uh, supporting a family. Uh, we're very proud. and I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up Raj, because it's something we don't talk enough about um, at our bakery. Cause people always ask me, well, you just pay these guys minimum wage. They don't even get healthcare. They just make all these assumptions because we're a manufacturer uh, on average. Our, Bakers are making about 16 to 17% above the MIT Sustainable Wage Index. That's very important. When you look at how much we pay them, their production bonuses, the, the benefits that they do get on day one, uh, 401k access that they have, uh, access to a union, they're making 15 to 17% above the MIT Livable Wage Study. Uh, that's important uh and this is Westchester County which is where I am New York you know probably one of the most expensive counties in, in the country so we have to kind of think about I mean, you mentioned it before Raj I mean this is really a broad issue that we're talking about the future of work uh, and inclusive employment it's it's more than the hiring it's really the investment we're making in people um in what you were saying the future Raj I you know Do folks feel that there is, is this a dead end or am I going to have a future in this job? Can I move up in the organization or move out to something better? I mean, these are all things we have to think about as an organization, or you're going to have that revolving door. People are just going to keep leaving uh, because you're not providing, whether it's the salary, whether it's the support, whether it's the future, uh, people are just going to leave. If I just think, you know, I'm just, this is what I'm going to be making for the next 20 years. And there's no hope of me going to something else. Yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. But, you know, we're very proud to say that you know, we we pay a very decent uh, compensation package to our to our employees. Uh, but again, that, that's not that's not the end all. There's there's this is part of a broader uh, thought process. It's the pay. Obviously, it's the compensation. Yes, but it's also the training. It's just also the environment that, you know, we want folks to, to feel like they're a part of it but this is in our DNA. I mean, this is, goes, this goes back to Bernie. Um, I don't have any issues <laughs> speaking out on certain things with my board because, you know, this is who we have always been and who we're going to be uh, well into the future.
1: Well, what I really love about this conversation, Joe, is, you know, before we, we got on, we were talking a little bit about this whole debate that's going on about hybrid working, the future of work, and a lot of that discussion has really focused on the white collar, quote unquote, knowledge workers of the world. Yes. And yeah. um, and what I was saying earlier, we were sharing is, you know, but that leaves out half the workers in America yeah. who are hourly workers, who have to be on site, who, and what you've done for me is open up another avenue that says, yeah, we can have the hybrid discussion over here, but we need to have the inclusiveness And the inclusive hiring and work environment over here because if we're not thinking about an inclusive work environment for our frontline essential people then we're not having a full debate just like we're wondering how is that uh, that working mother at home going to manage a hybrid work environment we ought to be asking the same question about our frontline people and saying what does an inclusive work environment mean for our frontline workers, and yeah. so that's been my breakthrough break today, is to be able to say now I can you know now I have both sides covered in a sense,
0: <laughs> and that's such a challenge. And, and we're hearing, I mean, we heard that at the height of the pandemic, and we're still hearing it to this day. You know, the remote work uh, debate, and you know, I'm listening to you know, Jeffrey's financial, I'm seeing Blackstone, J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, all these guys are having this big debate about this whole remote work policy. And to your point, you know. I, my bakers can't work from home uh so this is not (laughs) the debate that they can be a part of but there is asking but i understand a lot of people will have and i use myself as the example with the earlier part of this pandemic there was a time when my four-year-old he was three at the time but he was here in my office because i didn't have childcare. we didn't want to put him anywhere um, and there was no place that was open so he had nowhere to go so he came to work with me because we were deemed essential and i was in the office Uh, but other folks don't have that luxury. You know, our bakers can't bring their kids to work. <laughs> you know, they they can't obviously can't work from home. But what are the supports that, to your point, Timothy, are they, do other people need? Because that's really what the remote work debate is about: is folks may not have childcare, or folks just may be scared. <laughs> to come to work, um, you know, is it a healthy, safe environment? So we do have to ask those questions, and, I, and I'm and I'm torn. I'll be very, and I've been very frank with my team here. I'm torn with the whole remote work debate because this is a very much a people facing business. Um, obviously, I have half of the shop, um, the bakery uh, that can't work from home i mean they, they have to be here but our foundation folks you know we are we're in front of people we're training it, it you, you really there is a secret sauce to being together creativity ideation um just being in the environment and understanding each other you, you can't do that on zoom and teams uh, but at the same time i understand that some of our employees have you know issues that require them to be at home and we just have to figure out how we work around that and make it work but uh not everybody has that luxury and it is a privilege. I mean, remote work is a privilege mm-hmm. um, to be able to do, but not everybody's going to have it simply by the nature of their job. Yeah. It's just, it just can't be done at home.
2: Well, you know, Joe, I think one of the uh, encouraging things about the present moment we're in is it feels like we're at the beginning of a uh, kind of a race to the top
0: well. dynamic
2: uh, among companies, for example, Amazon now under their new CEO, Mm-hmm. is making a commitment to say we want to be the best employer in the world. I mean, they used to be the most customer-oriented company, right, in, in the world, and now that's a new aspiration. And if you can have such a massive employer uh, make that commitment and then deploy their extraordinary resources to figure out what that means and how to do it. And, and that's in response to some of the, you know, you might have seen the big New York Times article about how yeah. they manage their warehouses yes. and how they actually want high turnover and they don't promote from within and, you know, they give bonuses for people to quit yes. not to come in because they want to hire new people at, at the lower wage and so forth. I think all of that mental model, I think is shifting. And and the interesting thing is that's happening in the absence of unionization. The old me- mechanism was unions would then negotiate and fight hard and, you know, get the higher benefits and so forth. But I think doing it voluntarily from a place of enlightened uh, self-interest, I think is is to me a very encouraging dynamic and that's gonna ripple out uh, through the economy and not not independent of any temporary so-called worker shortage. I think it is sort of the new normal is what I'm
0: hoping. No, And I hope there is that race to the top, as you say. And if anybody from Amazon is listening, I do hope they reach out because this is, and it's it's not self, I mean, it is self-interest in the sense you want good employees, but I I would hope that people see a broader view of that. Again, you're getting good talent, that'll be a benefit to your organization, but you are making a huge impact in your society as well. And I, we say all the time, let us help you look good <laughs> in terms of you know, adopting this new new model and new approach to things because, yeah, they've had some challenges in the media. But I think there's some ways around that that works for the people you hire, that works for your organization, but that works for the areas where you're going to be located. So as we race to the top, I, I do hope that they look to us, to race and to, to help them along that journey. So Amazon, call me. <laughs>
1: Joe, thank you so much for your your time and attention and a really fascinating discussion. If our listeners do want to find out more about open hiring, inclusive hiring, and about Grayston, where would you recommend that they go?
0: please go to our website, uh, grayston.org. They can donate there. They can buy brownies there. They can learn about how to replicate the model. But grayston.org is where they should go. And we'd be happy to connect with them and sign up for our newsletter so that they can be uh, informed of the latest happenings.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Joe. And thank you, Raj. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, Really, if you enjoyed today on whatever channel you're watching or listening, please hit the subscription button. And if you have any thoughts or comments that you want to get to Raj and I, then you can at theconsciouscapitalists.com. If you go to our website, there is a place at the bottom of the page where you can send us a note and let us know your thoughts and comments. Again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.